Hello and welcome to Japan Explained. The Golden Pavilion, also known as Kinkakuji, is probably one of the most famous places in Japan. It's shiny, it's gorgeous, it's protected by UNESCO, and there is even a famous novel written about it. So, this time, let me explain the magnificent Golden Pavilion. Kinkakuji is located in the north of modern Kyoto, in the area known as Kitayama, the northern mountains. During the Heian period, it was considered a nice day trip from the capital, so aristocrats often came here to hunt. It was also considered a great place to build temples and imperial mausoleums. In short, a very fancy area, not too far from the imperial palace. But then, Heian period came to an end. It's 1220, and a nobleman named Sayonji Kinsune is trading his estate in Owari, nowadays Aichi Prefecture, for a nice place of farmland in Kitayama, Kyoto. Who is Sayonji Kinsune, you ask? One of the many, many descendants of the Fujiwara clan. To be honest, even back then nobody heard much about the Sayonji family, Yet, Kintsune manages to become a very important person with connections to both the imperial court and the shogunate in Kamakura. There is no record of what he did with his land, but in 1224 he held a great celebration to mark the completion of the construction of a family temple and a luxurious villa nearby. Because why not? The following year, Sayonji's villa called Kitayama Dai or Kitayama Tei, old readings are rather confusing, was visited by Fujiwara no Teika, a fellow nobleman and a poet, now widely known for compiling Ogura Hyakunin Ishu, 100 poems by 100 writers, but also Sayonji's brother-in-law. Teika found the villa astonishing. He wrote that the design was remarkably novel. Particularly impressive, he continued, was a 45 shaku, or about 13.5 meter, high waterfall and a beautiful pond as blue as lapis lazuli. According to him, the villa resembled, but surpassed, Fujiwara no Michinaga's Hojoji temple. Another nobleman agreed, saying it looked like the realm of immortal saints, or even heaven, the pure land on earth. It's truly a pity we don't have any pictures. But then, the Kamakura shogunate collapsed, as did the Sayonji clan. The Kitayama villa fell into disuse and decay. It's now the Muromachi period. More than 100 years later, Sayonji's villa was acquired by Ashikaga Yoshimitsu, third shogun of the new Ashikaga dynasty. Appointed shogun at the age of 10, by his 20th birthday, Shimizu had moved the shogun's capital to Kyoto and became acting grand councillor of the imperial court. Then he ended a more than 100-year conflict between the southern and northern courts, reformed Zen studies, established good trade relations with main China, and did many other great things. Tired of all these achievements, he retired in 1394. In 1397, he began building his own villa in Kitayama. 
With nothing but a pond left on the once Grand Sayonji estate, Shimitsu can build whatever he wants. And he wants something refined and magnificent, like a golden pavilion, for example. The three-story building we now know as the Golden Pavilion was built on the shore of Kyokochi, a mirror pond, and when the weather is clear it reflects the shining building beautifully. The second floor of the pavilion was covered with gold foil on the outside, and the third floor was covered with gold foil on both the inside and the outside. Surprisingly, more interesting than the gold, and Yoshimitsu used about 4 kilos of this metal to decorate the pavilion, it was a lot, but he was the de facto ruler of Japan and could afford it. More interesting than the gold was the actual construction of the pavilion, all three floors of which were built in different architectural styles. Try to imagine a building where the first or ground floor is a Roman palace, second, a medieval castle, and third, a gothic church. What does it look like? Not so great, right? But the golden pavilion looked stunning. Of course, it helps that the architectural styles haven't changed that drastically in Japan, but it's still very unique. The first floor of the golden pavilion was built in the Shindenzukuri style, used for the residences of the Heian nobility. It is a partially enclosed space consisting of a room, an open veranda, and a small attached pavilion. The wall encloses only half of this floor. The half facing the pond is open and can only be closed by sliding doors. It has no windows, because it doesn't need them, and the main purpose of this architecture is to let you enjoy the nature from the comfort of your room. So, there are a few walls, no bright colors, only dark wood, and white plaster. The second floor was built in Bukezukuri, the samurai style. And since samurai were supposed to devote all their efforts to training and serving their lord, they were not supposed to waste time and money on lavish decorations or idle pond watching. All four sides of the second floor are enclosed by wooden walls with latticed windows and wooden sliding doors. A small veranda is surrounded by railings. The third floor is the smallest but the most glamorous of all. It is built in a Zenshubutsudenzukuri, or Zen temple style, very minimalist but with beautiful bell-shaped windows and lightly decorated railings around the veranda. On the shingled roof of the pavilion, a golden phoenix completes the already magnificent structure. As soon as the villa was ready, all the festivities previously reserved to the shogunal palace were held here. Here, Yoshimitsu entertains official envoys from Ming China, earning himself the title of King of Japan. Here, too, he held a grand ceremony for the visit of Emperor Gokomatsu in 1408. The event lasted for 20 days, and enough notes were written about it that some have survived to this day. But less than two months later, Hashimitsu dies. His son, the fourth Ashikaga shogun, lived in his own palace. Only Yoshimitsu's wife remained in the once vibrant residence, but she too died in 11th month of 1419. 
the following year, Yoshimitsu's son and now shogun Yoshimochi transferred Kitayama then into the Zen temple dedicated to his father. As Yoshimitsu's posthumous name was Rokuonin then, the temple became known as Rokuonji, the temple of the deer plain, as the place where Buddha began his teaching. But soon the golden pavilion fell into disuse and decay once again. As successive shoguns gradually lose their power, they are unable to support the numerous Zen temples. And that's not the worst of it. In 1467, the upheaval of Onin marks the beginning of 150 years of endless feudal warfare in Japan and leaves much of Kyoto in ruins. Kitayama Den, now Rokuonji, also burns. But miraculously, the Golden Pavilion and two other temple buildings escape the flames and survive. And here we are 200 years later. Rokuonji survived the turmoil and made it safely into the Edo period. The founder of the new shogunate, Rokugawa Ieyasu, himself appointed a monk called Saisho Jotai as the abbot of the temple. But let's be clear, he was not just a monk. He was also a leading advisor to Tokugawa Ieyasu and before him Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and was so influential that people called him the black-robed prime minister. Thanks to him, the temple received its long-needed restoration in 1649, and it has been well-maintained to this day, I'd like to say, but no. Another 200 years have passed, and we are now in the Meiji period. Japan was trying to find its place in the world. Everything changed, even the imperial capital moved from Kyoto to Tokyo. Combined with a general disrespect for Buddhist temples at the time, it was clearly not the best time for any of them. So, each of them survived the best way they could. In 1894, the year of the industrial exhibition in nearby Osaka, Rukuonji opened its doors to tourists. It brought the temple enough money to pay for some restoration work starting in 1903, and the Golden Pavilion survived a little longer. In 1929, it was finally appreciated again. Now, officially. It becomes a national treasure. And although there is not a trace of gold left on its walls, it stands strong through the Second World War, feeling very lucky to have been built in Kyoto. But then, the time comes for the pavilion to die. It was Sunday, 2nd of July 1950. At around 3 a.m., the fire brigade arrived to Rokuonji to find the golden pavilion in flames. There was nothing left to save. The pavilion and all the statues inside had burned to ashes. At the same time, a 21-year-old apprentice monk, Hayashi Shoken, went missing from the temple. He soon becomes the prime suspect, and by the evening of the same day, he was found crouching on Hidari Daimonji mountain, just behind a temple. The Japanese Herostratus planned to commit suicide. He took sleeping pills and even stabbed himself with a knife, but the glorious death didn't come. He was rescued and arrested. But why did he choose to burn this particular building? Hayashi himself told the police that he wanted to create disorder in society in order to take revenge. 
But then he came up with a couple of completely different explanations and it became clear that his reasons were not very clear and that the whole situation was a bit more complicated than it seemed. That's why everyone was suddenly interested in Hayashi's own past. So let's look into it too. Hayashi was born on 19th of March 1929 in a small fishing village near Maizuru, the northern part of Kyoto Prefecture facing the Sea of Japan. He suffered from stuttering from an early age and was shy and reclusive as a result. At the time, Hayashi's father was a priest in a small temple, but he was seriously ill and often had to stay in bed for days at a time. When Hayashi was about to enter middle school, his father wrote a letter to the abbot of Kinkakuji, asking him to accept his son as a student. Surprisingly, the abbot agreed, and soon after receiving the answer, Hayashi's father died. Hayashi moved to Kyoto with his mother and went to school here. His mom seemed to be very proud of him. Her son was an apprentice in such a famous temple and was even sponsored by it. It is said that her expectations grew higher and higher. Hayashi, on the other hand, was said to be far from fond of his mother and soon of Kinkakuji. In 1945, he ran away from the temple, was expelled, but then pardoned and taken back. He finished middle school, went to Zen school and then entered Otani University. In the first year, he was in the top 30% of students. In the second year, he falls below the top 50, and by the middle of the third year, he is the worst student in the class. He regularly skips classes and fails to pass further. He thinks that the other monks hate him because of his stutter, that he won't be respected in Ginkakuji, and that everyone in general, but especially the abbot, is against him. So, when he hears one day that the newly acquired fire alarm system has broken down and needs to be repaired, he takes it as a sign. This is particularly ironic, as Kyoto spent millions of yen to install fire alarms in all its important cultural monuments after the tragic fire at Horyuji Temple in Nara in 1949. In May 1950, Japan passed the Cultural Property Protection Law, Kinkakuji had its fire alarm installed as soon as possible, but never had a chance to use it. Just as the alarm was being repaired, Hayashi decided to take action. And here we are, back on the 2nd of July, 1950. Hayashi is cured and arrested. All the newspapers write about the fire in Kinkakuji, while his mother is asked to come to Kyoto for questioning. After hearing the truth about last night's events, she seemed very distraught. A police officer noticed this and asked her younger brother to come to Kyoto to meet her and make sure she was alright. He came to pick her up, but the next thing we know, she jumped off the train on her way home at 5.25pm as it passed through the Hozu Gorge, just outside Kyoto. As for Hayashi, he seems to care neither for the pavilion nor for his mother. The trial starts on 24th of July. Hayashi is questioned, but his answers don't make much sense. One thing is clear, he doesn't care and he doesn't regret. And everyone, especially the abbot, 
it's wicked for seeing Evelyn him. It's so many contradictory statements that the newspapers immediately call him mad. The court was not so sure, so on 31st of July, Hayashi had an interview with Professor Miura Momoshige of Kyoto University. After the interview, the professor concludes that Hayashi suffers from feelings of persecution and schizophrenia. On the 28th of December 1950, the Kyoto District Court sentenced Hayashi to seven years imprisonment. He went to prison, but two years later his mental state deteriorated and he was sent to a mental facility, where he stays until his sentence, by then reduced to five years and three months, is served. In October 1955, Hayashi is released. He had no place to go, and contracted tuberculosis, of which he died just half a year later in March 1956. But his deeds, and especially his vague but provocative and somewhat philosophical motives, didn't go unnoticed. While people who knew him, his fellow monks in Ginkakuji, and even most journalists have long since decided to erase Hayashi from the history of Ginkakuji, two men simply could not forget him. They were Mishima Yukio and Minakami Tsutomu. In January 1956, Mishima starts publishing The Temple of the Golden Pavilion, a best-selling novel that is still considered one of his masterpieces. Not surprisingly for anyone who has read Mishima's work, the main motive of his protagonist is beauty. He made his character admire the pavilion and yet hate it at the same time. He even came to Kyoto and Maizuru to conduct his own investigation. And while Kinkakuji refused his request, Mishima visited all the places related to Hayashi and talked to anyone who was willing to talk. In October 1956, the work was completed. And I think the last part came as a surprise to many. When I first read it, it certainly did for me. But read it for yourself if you haven't already, I won't spoil it for you. I guess Minakami Tsutomu was not very happy with Mishima's choice either. Or maybe he was, I don't know. But in 1962, he wrote his own work, called Kobancho Yugiriro. And then in 1979, another one. This time a non-fiction book. Kinkaku Enjo, The Burning of the Golden Pavilion. And while it seems that Minakami's works have never been translated into English, there are two movie adaptations of Gobancho Yugiriro that you could watch to see his side of the story. But why did Minakami decide to write a book on the same subject as Mishima? Well, good that you asked, because it seems that Minakami and Hayashi went to the same Hanazono Middle School, and Minakami even remembered meeting Hayashi as a child. But while the writers were writing, Kinkakuji had to think about what to do next. The temple decided to rebuild the pavilion. The abbot himself went out to collect the donations, and in a few years they had collected enough to start rebuilding. After that, the money the temple received from the government, Kyoto Prefecture and city, and other local organizations, and they had the 30 million yen needed to complete the project. 
It doesn't sound like much, but with inflation, it would be more like 600 million yen today. A lot of money for a tiny building. But first, one question was waiting to be answered. Was the Golden Pavilion ever covered in gold? You might think it's a silly question, but Kinkaku's younger cousin, the Silver Pavilion, was never covered in silver. And since the gold leaf was gone by the time photography came to Japan, no one has ever seen the pavilion covered in gold. And that was a very important thing to know. However, while there were no records of the building's construction, the carpenters who repaired Kinkaku in the early 20th century fortunately partially dismantled it. Not only did they leave behind the detailed drawings, but they also removed some of the wood that had to be replaced. And chemical analysis showed that they had indeed once been covered in gold. In 1955, all the work was completed, and the Golden Pavilion came back to life in all its golden glory. From 1987, it is more golden than ever, with 20 kilograms of gold leaf covering it in five layers. And when you look at it now, maybe... It had to burn to revive itself, more beautiful than ever, just like Phoenix, symbolically standing on its roof. Now, if you like this show, please click the subscribe button not to miss any future episodes. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye!